Thanks for listening to the weekend message from Abundant Life Church. Most weeks on the podcast, you'll hear teaching from our lead pastor, Jeremy Jernigan. We have campuses in Oregon and Washington and are committed to giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. Find out more about Abundant Life Church at alcpnw.com. Can we just say thank you again to our family ministries for leading us today? We are glad that you guys are here. And here's what I wanna say. So often whenever we talk about students and youth, we say, oh, they're the church of tomorrow, right? I think they just proved they're the church of today. Amen? Amen. We are so glad that you guys are here. Hey, if you're not paying attention to what's going on with our students and our our, our family ministries right now, um, you're missing something huge. And so we are doing something this weekend that we've never done before, and we are trying to make it incredibly simple and easy for you as as a parent to get all of your kids engaged in camp. And so I wanna encourage you to listen in after the message. We're gonna give you a couple of ways that we can do this that we've never done before that's incredibly exciting. And I am just so proud to be a part of a community where we get to hear uh, these kind of voices that often don't get a chance to, to be a voice in the church. So thank you uh, to you guys. Also let you know, if you're a parent and your kids are not engaged in our family ministries, um, you're missing it and your child is missing it. Every week, I feel like for like the last two months, I hear uh, a student being baptized talking about how summer camp changed everything for them. I'm going, if my kids weren't already engaged, I think I would put my kids in, in that program. I think I would say, you know what? Uh, Jesus is doing something there. I want my family to be a part of it. So I wanna encourage you guys to take advantage of that. Thank you to our family ministries for all of that. Well, here's what I wanna ask you today. Have you ever read a book? And then after you read the book, you immediately wondered, why did this person write this book? (laughs) Ever had that thought? I I read a lot of books, I like reading, uh, but I, I get to a few that I'm going, I've got no clue what prompted you to write that thing? Like, were you in need of a paycheck? You know, did, did someone ask you to? Why would you write that book? You know, there's just some books that aren't really worthy of, of being a book. Or, or sometimes maybe you just saw the cover of a book and you went, I don't think that needs to be a book. For example, here's a few that I found that I'm, I'm a little curious about. Eating people is wrong. <laughs> we need a book for this? Like, we... We couldn't figure this out. Somebody needs to publish something on this. Help us understand that that's out of bounds. Okay, thank you for letting me know. All right, about this. How to make money in your spare time. I mean, side hustle is quite the thing these days, and you know, evidently it's a way to make an extra buck. Or perhaps my favorite, everything I know about women I learned from my tractor. Just gonna let that sit there. I'm just gonna leave that one alone. Well, today, we're beginning a new series called The Gospel of John. So I wanna encourage you, get your journals out. If you got a journal, uh, hold on to this, get this out, and we're gonna be in week one, and we're gonna encourage you to write down the things that we uh, talk through today. Use these in your own study throughout the week of uh, your own experiences with God. Use it with your life group. Uh, This is a tool uh, that you can bring back with you each and every week as you do this. Also, uh, we're beginning the book of John, so get your Bibles out and open to John chapter... 20, ha <laughs> gotcha. John chapter 20, you'll figure that out in just a minute uh, why we're going there, it's not, uh, it's not a joke. 
I wanna welcome you to Abundant Life Church. We are so glad that you're here to those in the room with me, to those who are watching or listening online uh, through YouTube or, or our podcast. So glad that you guys are here as well. My name is Jeremy, the lead pastor here. And if you are new with us, wherever you are joining us, uh, we are a church about giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. And we are so glad that you are here, especially as we begin this brand new series through the book of John. Now here's what's so exciting. You ready for this? I have no idea how long this series will last. Anyone else excited? It could be a year, could be two years. I don't know. We're just gonna slowly work our way through this because we're not in a hurry and we'll take breaks from time to time, you know, put a little other series in there. But uh, as a general rule, we're just gonna work our way through John for a while and I am pumped. I've been planning for this for a while. I've been getting ready for it. And I'm so excited just to dive into this because John is an amazing book of the Bible. Now, we're asking, why would you write a book? We need to ask John, why would you write this gospel account? Uh, why do we need it? We have three other ones, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Why do we need a fourth? Why do we need the gospel of John? Well, there's actually a very interesting story if you follow church tradition as to why John was motivated to write this book. You see, we might picture that in the early church, uh, Jesus is, is murdered on the cross, uh, he dies, he's buried, then he resurrects, and then all the land became a Christian. And it was this big, happy story, and here we are all these years later. But if you read uh, church history or history of any sort, it's not that way at all. And so you have this pocket of people who have seen Jesus, have experienced Jesus, and are willing to give their life for Jesus. And then you have the Roman Empire, you know, and you have the entire empire against them, uh, and you have kind of this dichotomy of how they exist. And so as you read accounts of the early church, what you find out is that as they are teaching theology, which is how do we understand who God is, especially now that we've seen Jesus, uh, there are other groups teaching other views of God, in, in particular about Jesus, that are radically different. Now there's different leaders uh, of this. One is a guy named Serenthus. Now, Serenthus was one of those guys who was, was trying to take on the early church. And he was teaching things very contrary to what the early church was teaching. Now, one of the things that he was teaching is that he, he denied that God made the physical world. He said, there's a total difference here. So there's the physical, that has nothing to do with God. Then there's the spiritual, and that's what God is about. God is not about the physical. And there's lots of uh, different understandings of religion that have uh, taken that view in, in some sort. He also taught, and this is where it gets really kind of challenging to the person of Jesus, that Jesus only received the Spirit of God at his baptism, okay? So he was born as normal, and, he, and when he was baptized, then he gets the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God is, is with him and motivates him and, and leads him to do the miracles, all that he did, until Jesus gets to the cross. Then Serenthus taught, uh, at the cross, the Spirit of God left him, and then Jesus is back to being a man because God couldn't die like that. And so you have this very different understanding of who Jesus is. He's not really God. He was just kind of like God for a while uh, when the Spirit was on him. That's another thing that Serenthus taught. He also, as he was kind of breaking down who Jesus was, he said, look, that whole virgin birth thing with Mary, that's not real. Uh, Jesus was biologically uh, the, the product of Mary and Joseph. He's just a normal guy. Now, there's lots of people today that would make similar arguments or would say, yeah, Jesus isn't who uh, he said he is. He's not who Christians say he is. Um, but, but you have to realize for the early church, these weren't just ideas that they had read about. So John doesn't believe in Jesus because John read about Jesus. 
John believed in Jesus because John walked with Jesus. He met Jesus, he experienced Jesus, he saw all this. And so when John is hearing guys like Serenthus say this, it's not just like a, hey, I, I philosophically disagree with Serenthus. It's an emotional gut reaction, like how could you say that about my Jesus? I mean, he's like having this passionate reaction to it. On top of that, when he's explaining, you know, the virgin birth's not a real thing, John knew Mary. Like these are people that John was, was close with. And so he's going, how are you going to say something that's not true? I know these people, I know this. And so John was, was going toe to toe with Serenthus and these guys were kind of like, you know, mortal enemies. These are the, the nemesis of each other. And then one day John ran into Serenthus. Ooh, that's super awkward. Ever like unfollow someone on social media? Then you run into them at the grocery store? <laughs> You're like, hey, do you know that I unfollowed you? And it's like that really awkward kind of thing. So John runs into Serenthus, and we have this account because the early church father named Irenaeus wrote it down. He wrote down the encounter that John had with Serenthus, and I find this humorous. And so I wanna read what Irenaeus said as he, as he talked about the moment that John met Serenthus. He said this, there are those who heard from him that John the disciple of the Lord, going to bathe at Ephesus and perceiving Serenthus within. So he's going to the bathhouse. That was kind of like a social gathering, not as creepy as it sounds to us. Uh, it's a social gathering. But when he gets there, John realizes Serenthus is inside. He rushed out of the bathhouse without bathing, exclaiming, let us fly, lest even the bathhouse fall down because Serenthus, the enemy of the truth, is within. It's a little bit dramatic, uh, but we can appreciate John for this. Now, they even made a picture of this, of how they understood or how they depicted this. And so you have this scene here, this is John, fleeing from the bathhouse in horror because Serenthus, the enemy of truth, is within. Now, I would like to encourage John, hey man, your faith isn't fragile. You know, I have him listen to my podcast from a couple weeks ago. You can talk to Serenthus, it's gonna be okay. Like, why don't you just reason this through? But the thing I wanna illustrate is, these weren't just ideas to John. This was John's story. This was John's friend. And so the reason why John is having such an emotional reaction to Serenthus is because what they are teaching is contrary to the person that John knows. Now, I would suggest it would be much harder for me if I got to see all the things that John saw and then I heard someone like Serenthus explaining all these things about Jesus. I would have this reaction going, no, 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 I saw it. I was there. It's not like that at all. And so as the early church tradition tells us, it is this moment that motivates John to say, I'm gonna write this down. I'm gonna write down what I've seen about Jesus. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell the world so that guys like Serenthus don't have the last word. And to that, I would say he was largely successful because most of you have never heard of Serenthus, but you've heard of the apostle John. And so John is going to write down, he's going to, to give his own gospel account. There had already been three others. John's like, I wanna give you my version. And John's is notably different because of what John is trying to do, his reason for writing. Now, if you're with me in John chapter 20, we're gonna look at verses 30 and 31. Now, here's what I would tell you. Uh, John is going to give us the reason why he wrote this. Now, if you like to mark in your Bible uh, or you like, you have an app, you can highlight, this is worth marking, this is worth circling or starring or underlining or doing something in your Bible to this because this is like the decoder ring for all the gospel of John. As you read through the gospel, you're like, what's this about? Why are we reading this? What's going on here? John is going to tell us why. 
And so we're going to start with this as the foundation for the entire series we're gonna go into, and I will reference back to this throughout the series because when we're gonna read things, we go, why? Why is this in there? Why is John saying it? John is going to tell us why, and it's important for us to remember. So here's John chapter 20. If you've got your Bibles, we're gonna read in verse 30 and 31. John says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's an incredible reason to write a book, and this is what John says. So again, I encourage you, uh, mark this down, uh, note it, reference back to it as we go throughout this series. If you're confused on why is this in there, go back and and put it through this filter, because this is why John is writing this. So let's unpack this. What does this mean for us? Well, number one, John is is thinking of this gospel as a book. He uses the Greek word that you'd use for a book. He's thinking of it as a very detailed, intentional ordering of events and theology. This is not like John just one day sat down like, I'm just gonna write whatever comes to me in whatever order. No, no, John is thinking through uh, with guys like Serenthus going around, how do I make my argument compelling? How do I explain what I have seen? How do I challenge that? Now, it's just so loaded with theology, which is an understanding of how God works or who God is. John's gospel is so loaded with theology, it's the first of any of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, to get a commentary. Now, a commentary is when uh, people, after the fact, write another book about a book of the Bible, okay? I read lots of commentaries. You may not do this in your free time. You should, it's fun. Uh, But uh, you can read about a book of the Bible where they're unpacking the different verses and they're kind of giving you their take on what these verses mean. Well, John's gospel gets the first commentary in the second century. So early on did the early church realize, wow, we've got something here. There is an incredible depth of profound theological beauty here, and the church began to unpack it. Now, whenever you get to a book like this, you go, who's the author? Uh, there's always discrepancy. Now, again, if you read into the, the scholars and uh, in the academic land, there's always debates. No, it's not this John, it's that John, it's this John. Uh, here's the reality. Most people would believe that this is the disciple John, one of the 12, writing about Jesus. Some would argue it's not. There's compelling reasons on both camps. I tend to lean to go, I think it is the disciple John, although it could have been another John. Most likely, from the evidence I have seen, it's probably the disciple John. And so John is writing, and if it is the disciple John, not only was he one of the 12 uh, with Jesus, he was in the inner circle. Now, Jesus had his 12 disciples, but if you read carefully in the gospel accounts, he also had like the three that were like his favorite, Peter, James, and John. So oftentimes Jesus would walk somewhere and he'd go, hey, you three, come with me. The other other ones would be like, oh man, Jesus is taking them again. But John gets to be in the inner circle. So just imagine, not only are you one of Jesus' 12 disciples, not only do you get to see all of that, but then you get to be one of the three that gets a behind the scenes look at what the other disciples don't even get to see. It's an amazing perspective. This is what John gets to see. This is why John is so passionate about Jesus. He has seen Jesus. He has heard Jesus. He's been there when Jesus is thinking out loud and processing through life. And and John gets to witness all of this. But here's what's remarkable. John never mentions that. John never plays to the fact of, hey, you know, I'm not just one of the disciples. I'm a super disciple. I'm on the inner circle. I gotta be honest. If I was writing the gospel of John and I was John, 
I would probably throw that detail in uh, very tactfully, but I would let you know, hey, uh, you can believe me because I'm in the inner circle with Jesus, right? John never does it. In fact, John doesn't even mention his name throughout this whole gospel. He knows he's writing a book, but he doesn't explain who he is. The closest we get, and there's some debate on this, whether this is uh, you know, more arrogant or less arrogant, the closest thing we get is that John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, is that arrogant? I don't know, maybe he just was obsessed that Jesus loved him. But that's how John refers to himself throughout the gospel. He does not use his name. Uh, it's a very interesting way, given what John saw, not to play up the fact. And you might wonder, why? Why doesn't John just help us to understand who he is and what he had seen? Well, as the famous uh, preacher Charles Spurgeon said, he said he leaves out that which would have brought John into the front in order that he may fill up the whole foreground of his canvas with the portrait of his Lord. Everything is subordinated to the one grand end that ye should believe that Jesus is the Christ. Spurgeon said, look, John could have put himself in the, in the front of this and could have said, I'm a big deal. I have seen all these things. But his whole goal is that you would see Jesus that you would see that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the one we've all been waiting for. And so to do that, John removes himself. John makes sure I don't wanna get in the way because I want you to see Jesus so clearly here. Now, and then John's pointing out, hey, I want you to know that these are just some of the things that Jesus did which I find intriguing. These are some of the things. Now, often when we study a book like this, we might be tempted to go, we exhaustively know about Jesus. We know everything that Jesus said. We've read it. We've studied it. We know everything there is to know about Jesus. Well, not only do you not know what Jesus did in his earthly ministry, uh, because this is just what they wrote down. He did other things. We also don't know what Jesus has done since then. Like all the things that the living person of Jesus has continued to do since his resurrection, we don't know. So there should be a humility when we read this to go, this is what we can study, which tells us who Jesus is, what kind of character Jesus has, uh, but we don't exhaustively know all the things that Jesus has done. Now, if you look at all the gospels, okay, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, if you combine however many unique miracles there are, okay, so not, not one story that multiple people tell, but like individual miracles that are unique, you get 35 of them, okay? 35 different miracles that Jesus does throughout the four different gospels. Here's what's fascinating. Of the 35, John only uses seven. You're going, why seven? Why not use all of them if you have them? John only uses seven. And what you gotta remember is, John is going to pick the seven that he believes will best help you to see why Jesus is the Christ. So the seven miracles, John calls them signs in his gospel. The seven signs that John is gonna show us and we will study are all pointing to Jesus as the Christ. And I'm left wondering, how many did Jesus actually do? If they wrote down 35 of them and each of them picked a few, how many other ones did just no one get around to writing down? How many other things did Jesus do? And I think it's good to foster an imagination that we should never walk away with a study like this having a smaller view of Jesus, but always a bigger view of Jesus to go, wow, this is what we know. What else did Jesus do? Now, let me illustrate this. Uh, you can go throughout history and go, okay, what are some famous people? And we know them for one thing, but what's something else that they accomplished that we might not know them for, right? And so let me give you a couple illustrations. Alexander Graham Bell 
We know him uh, for his work with the telephone. And you can read all about that and the patents and, and all of his you know, things about being an inventor. But what you might not know is that in the 1920s, they first started measuring the intensity of sound and they started using a term called the bell, the B-E-L, to measure that sound. Now, today we use that measurement, uh, but we use it in one-tenth of a bell, which is called a decibel. So decibels, as we measure sound today, all are from Alexander Graham Bell. That's, he got named after the decibel, or the decibel got named after him. Again, you might go, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that the decibel uh, was named after Alexander Graham Bell. Or Condoleezza Rice. We know her as serving as Secretary of State, but you might not know that she's a concert pianist. In fact, when she was 15, uh, she performed with the Denver Symphony Orchestra. And to this day, she performs with an ensemble in D.C. You go, oh, that's not how I thought of her. I did not, did not know that. Or a guy like Lewis Carroll, who is known for writing Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, was known for being a mathematics professor at Oxford when he wasn't writing, which is a very strange to be an, a mathematics professor and you can write children's literature. I don't know how both of those work together, but he could do both. And he came up with mathematical uh, riddles and, and, and logic puzzles that we still use today. So if these people accomplished those things and accomplished other things that we don't even remember them for, what else did Jesus do? If we have these highlights and we thought of it as a highlight reel, what else did Jesus do? And you might go, okay, well, if we put all the gospels together, we should get a really good glimpse of that. And, and maybe there's just a lot of overlap and you begin to unpack it. Well, here's what's so fascinating. If you've ever heard the term synoptic gospels, that's a theology word. Synoptic refers to Matthew, Mark, and Luke because they're very similar. And so if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll notice a lot of overlap, uh, not necessarily in the way that they tell the stories, but they often tell the same stories together. John kind of does his own thing. Uh, John's gonna go rogue a little bit, and John's like, no, 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 I've got a different purpose. Uh, I'm gonna pick different stories to choose from, still acknowledging I haven't given you all that he did. And here's what's most fascinating. As one biblical scholar uh, says it like this, Marianne says, in the end, the degree of overlap between the Gospel of John and the other New Testament Gospels is less than 10%. This is fascinating as we read the Gospel of John. Let's say that differently. 90% of the Gospel of John is unique to the Gospel of John. 90% of what we're gonna read is not found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And even then, John is saying, I just wrote down a few things. I'm not giving you all of this. And so you should walk away and go, wow, what else did Jesus do? What else has Jesus been doing in all of this? And we go right back to, to okay, why did John write it? Because he wants to show us Jesus. He wants us to see that Jesus is the Messiah. So we go back and go, okay, why did John pick these seven signs that we're gonna see throughout the book? Why did he pick these seven? Because John felt that these seven best helped us realize that Jesus is the Christ, he is the son of God. Anyway, go, okay, so John's only gonna pick the really easy miracles, the ones that are like no-brainers, of course, that, that explains it. What's interesting about this is John's first miracle he picks is Jesus turning water into wine which a lot of Christians kind of wish wasn't a miracle because it makes us a little uncomfortable. And we're going, that's the clear miracle you're beginning with? You're gonna start with that as that's the, the first sign of who Jesus really is? But as we'll see in that, and we'll study throughout the book, we'll see other connections just to that miracle alone in the bigger narrative of what John is doing. You'll begin to realize John is laser focused 
on showing us who Jesus is. And we need to keep that in mind. Now, oftentimes when we read a sign today, we might be confused by that. We might, what are you trying to say? Or what, what, you know, what are you trying to point me to? I'm not quite sure about that. Whenever I travel to Israel, uh, there's one sign that I always have to take a picture of because it makes me chuckle every single time. It says this, let anyone who thirsts come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture says, rivers of living water flow from within. And this is a quote from John chapter seven. You go, that's beautiful. Right next to it, Water not for drink. <laughs> like, wait, what? And so I've always thought, like, like, hey, John 7, again, we'll get to this, but oh, Jesus is like water to a thirsty person. You're like, oh, that's so great. Do not even think about drinking this water. Like, wait, what? See, the reality is if you look just to the right, you see a little pond and it's amazing. And the fact that that sign is there, I would be led to believe that someone saw that and went, I'm drinking that. Like that is the living water Jesus was talking about. And if you see that water, no, like that's not the water Jesus was talking about. But someone had to put a sign there to explain that. I just find that a little bit funny that there's oftentimes, and, and many books that we write, we go, hey, this is what the book is about. And you read it and you're like, I never even got that. I, I don't even see what you're talking about. Here's what I love about John. John is laser focused. You're not gonna read through this and you're not gonna say this and go, what on earth is John writing about? What on earth is John, what's the point John's trying to make? John is going to go so clear about who Jesus is. Rather than a sign like that, this is like an arrow that no matter where you, you point the arrow, it always gonna point the same way. Kind of like this, check, the, check this out. <laughs> I mean, some of your faces are like, what? What is going on right now? What kind of sorcery is in that video? <laughs> That's like the Zoolander of arrows. It can't turn left. <laughs> that is a great joke that nobody evidently has. Go home today and watch Zoolander. Thank you, one in the back. I'll just leave that there. That's a great joke. Here's the deal. That is how John writes. It is like the arrow. You can keep spinning it however you want. It is always gonna point you back to Jesus. And I want you to remember that each and every week as we keep studying this passage, and some of them, they might look like, whoa, what is this talking about? Jesus is gonna turn water into wine? That's weird. No, no, no. That goes right back to who Jesus is and what Jesus is all about, and John is making this as compelling as he can. So let's go back. What's the purpose of the book? Let's paraphrase what we already read. I would say it's twofold. Number one, to see Jesus as he really is. And in John's wording, uh, this is that Jesus is the Messiah. It's the one everyone has been waiting for. And this is a huge Jewish idea, but a Messiah one day will come, one day will make things right. Uh, even if you're not Jewish, you still have that idea of like, hey, someday something will get better. That's the idea of a Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus is God. Now remember, he's writing this in light of guys like Serenthus and what they're teaching, going, oh, Jesus is just a man, just a man who had the Holy Spirit for a little bit, and he's just just normal guy. John's going, no, 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 I want you to see Jesus as he really is. He really is the Messiah. He really is God. And so John is gonna go back and hit this over and over and over again. He might go, well, so what? Why do we spend so much time talking about Jesus? What, just so we could better understand the things that he did a long time ago? No, 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 this is what John's second point. To find life in him. Why do we study Jesus? Why do we study theology? Why do we, why do we spend the time to figure out, is our view of God accurate? Because you need to find your life in him. 
You can say this differently. You need to find your confidence in him. You need to find your drive, your fuel, however you wanna say it, your purpose, right? Everything is, is found in the person of Jesus. And so John is so passionate about explaining who Jesus is because he knows what we have, have often seen today, that only when you find life in Jesus is it sustainable. Now the world's gonna tell you, you can find your life in this and your career and your kids and this and that and having meaning and value and prominence and be notoriety and all. No, 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 that is never going to sustain you. If you find life in those areas, it will always let you down. And John's going, see Jesus as he really is so that you will find your life in him. And I, I pray that it has the same effect on us as it did on the early church who, who got this letter, who saw what John had written down, this book that he had put together. And they said, wow, this helps us to better understand the person of Jesus. And so each and every week, as we begin to pour into this, why are we studying Jesus? Why do we keep talking about Jesus so much? So that we will find our life in him. Because it's a challenge each and every week as you are tempted to find life in other things to go right back to Jesus and go, no, I've got to find my life in him. As the pastor Brian Zond has said, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We haven't always known this, but now we do. That is the spirit of what John is saying here. Look, God has always been like Jesus. We just didn't know it. But once we've seen Jesus, once we've experienced Jesus, once we've seen all the things that Jesus is about, now we know what God is really like. We don't have to go back as they did in the Old Testament and go, I don't know, we have these glimpses, as the New Testament writers call them, these glimpses of truth. John's going, no, you don't have a glimpse. You've got Jesus. You've seen the fullness of who God is. We didn't always know this. But now we know, and that is why John is so passionate in pointing us right back to the person of Jesus. Now, I would suggest for all of us that each and every one of us is looking for a sign, and we are asking the same exact questions. As we go through life, as you go through the day-to-day -day grind, the challenges, the things that each one of us must face, we're all asking, is Jesus really God? And if you're already in the camp where you believe that, maybe you sometimes doubt it. You're like, I think he is. I hope he is. I'm not quite sure all the time. Or maybe you're in the other camp and you're going, I don't think he is at all. And you're wondering, are all those people who say he is, are they right? Is that true and maybe I'm wrong? See, we ask the same question, is Jesus really God? Is he really the Messiah? Is he really the person that's gonna make all the wrongs suddenly become right? Is he gonna redeem and restore all things? And the second question, can we really find our life in him? I mean, really? Let's get personal for a moment. You might be thinking, well, can Jesus really meet me in the pain of my life? Like, this, does Jesus matter there? See, I don't care what, what age you are, we all know pain. Some of us know a lot of pain. We read through our, our you know, connection card comments and our prayer requests every week as a church, and, and every time I read through the prayer requests, I'm, I'm amazed how much pain there is it's in our community, which is reflective of how much pain is going on in the world today? We know pain. Can Jesus meet us in pain? Can he meet you in the pain of your life? Can, can he offer you something there? Or what, what about the disappointments of your life? 
Uh, we have those. We bury those down, and we rarely admit the disappointments, but we, we know disappointment. We know the things that, that you wanted it to be this, and it was that. And you hoped for this, and it never happened, and, and we, we, we just carry these disappointments around. Can Jesus meet us in disappointments? Can he meet us even there and offer life? What about those things that you, you hope for? And you're laying in bed at night, you go, oh God, if it could be like this, if this could ever happen, oh, this would be so amazing. And, and when you allow yourself to dream, you, you wonder, what if? Can Jesus meet you there? Can he offer you something even in the midst of that? What if there was a sign for you? And as you read through the gospel, John, you got to see Jesus in new ways right in the midst of life. And you got to allow John and his view of Jesus to keep reminding you that you can find your life in Jesus. My prayer for all of us as we get into this series week after week, that this would be just a constant reminder. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the thing that you have been waiting for. And you can only find life in him. And you can try to find life elsewhere and you can go all other things and you can try to you know, find value elsewhere. But when you keep going back to the person of Jesus, then and only then will you find life. Now, last week, we got to have uh, one of my mentors, Dr. Greg Boyd, come and uh, give an incredible message. And if you missed that, I encourage you to go watch that on YouTube or on our podcast. Um, but he said something that I've been thinking about since last week, and I think it's a great way to close uh, what we've been discussing today. Here's what Greg said. God is infinitely more beautiful than you could ever conceive, but spend a lot of your energy trying See, you're not ever gonna fully grasp the person of Jesus, but the worst thing you could do, you go, well, I'll never figure it out, it's just a mystery, so I'm not even gonna try. No, 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 we're gonna spend a lot of our energy trying to see what John had seen, trying to find our life only in the person of Jesus. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, would you meet us here in this journey? As we wrestle through the same things that John's early audience had to wrestle through, as we have heard some of the same claims from people like Serenthus, that you really aren't God and you're just another man and this is just another religion. And, and yet we are wondering, are you really God? Are you really the Messiah? Really the, the one that we've all been waiting for that can set all this to right? And can we find life in you? Not just a theoretical life, not just something that will make us feel good for a moment, but can we find our life in the person of Jesus Christ? Jesus, we ask and invite you to meet us here as we journey in this road through John together. Would you allow us to see the way that John is gonna so clearly point to you? Would you allow John's message to ring true in our ears that we could see what he had seen? And may we find our life, not in what the world would offer us, but in the person of Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen.